1: Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Let's go outside and blow bubbles like nothing to see over here. What fresh hell. <laughs>
0: Laughing in the face of motherhood. It's hard. It's really hard. With
1: Margaret Apples and Amy Wilson. I don't really know what I'm doing. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas. So you don't have to.
0: Can't watch it. It freaks me out.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking about brave parenting in a scary world. (laughs) It is like a thing and a thing and a thing and a thing and a thing. Apropos, as my (laughs) grandmother would say. Apropos. This episode was suggested by a listener who wrote in to say, I hope Amy and her kids are safe after what happened in NYC today. This, by the way, was the subway shooter from like a month ago, right? Doesn't that feel like 18 years ago? It does to me, and I live in New York City. Right. It was very nice of this person to wonder. We were fine. We were nowhere near where that happened. And she said, I'd like an episode on how we're supposed to be raising our kids in such a scary world. I became a mom right before and during the pandemic. With my first, I didn't have much anxiety, but with my second, Second, the world just seems scarier and my anxiety is through the roof. And sometimes I wonder, what was I thinking bringing kids into this world?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really good conversation, timely conversation. And I'm glad we're having it because I'm feeling the same way. I mean, all of these things, we may be talking about some news things and some scary things that are going on. So if you listen with little kids and you don't want them exposed to us talking about things that happened in Uvalde. For whatever reason, this might be a good one to do with headphones, just a heads up. Yeah, I mean, obviously, top of mind is the shooting that happened in Uvalde, and it's an area close to my husband's hometown. And so it felt more personal than some, although we also live about 20 miles from Newtown. A friend of a friend of mine was killed at um, Mandalay Bay in the country music, gathering, shooting. Las Vegas. I feel like growing up, my parents were always sort of like, that's happening far away from us. That was the like go-to safe thing. The news only came on once a day at seven o'clock. It is a tough time and it is tough to just kind of go to, well, we don't have to worry about that or here's why we don't have to worry about that.
1: There was a um a study. The American Psychological Association did a study. This came out in March to say that parents were under unprecedented levels of stress. And we have been under unprecedented levels of stress. and p s, it hasn't just been in the last you know, two weeks which have been very stressful. But this was interesting to me. in march twenty twenty two, Everybody's under stress. The number one stressor for parents in two months ago was inflation. Inflation was number one. Number two was the war in Ukraine. And I just read that like, oh, yeah. Remember the olden days when we were worried about gas prices and Ukraine? Like, take a number, right? Get in line. I have other things to worry about. And it's I think the sum total. Not that those things are not important are not very real and things we should be worrying about. You see what I'm saying? It's just, yeah, they keep being replaced. There's a fresh hell every day. I'm going to give you a quote from Gloria Di Gaetano. She's a parenting expert and she's a founder of the Parent Coaching Institute. She says, there's almost not a word to express the stress parents are under right now. Overwhelmed doesn't cut it. It's beyond anything we've ever experienced. What's different about our parents and our parents' parents, it is the news. It is this awareness like the world is flat and the suffering of parents and children in Ukraine is coming into our living rooms. It's real to us. It's closer to us than it used to be. And yes, the world used to be harder when you had to till your own fields, but you also didn't have to experience firsthand the trauma of somebody a world away.
0: I think it's both. And I think there is a little bit of pushback Only to say that I do think that our dialed inness to the news of the world and the country can sometimes work against us. My grandmother was one of 13 children of whom I think nine survived to adulthood. Right. I mean, her the immediate I can't say that like that's beyond anything we've ever experienced. You know, my grandmother was of a generation where children were literally not expected to survive until adulthood. There was very small chance that all of your children would make it. And so I worry that sometimes we define our times as like our children are safe, much safer generally than they were a hundred years ago. But at the same time, the randomness and the kind of, I think the fact that we are so attached to our children surviving, makes the stress of it sometimes
1: more acute. Does that make sense? It does. But there's also no question that the last couple of years, the real things to be stressed about have become much more accelerated and worse and scary, like... Active shooter attacks. The FBI designated 30 active shooter attacks in 2019, and there are 61 in 2021. And I don't know what they're going to be in 2022. But it feels like there have been 60 already. Or like the formula shortage, which we have definitely not discussed enough on the show. And I think it's because just you and I are so far beyond that stage of our lives. But that's a, a real what if I can't feed my kid thing? It's immediate, right? Like all of a sudden, we're back 100 years ago with like, what will my child eat? We're in the Grapes of Wrath, right? Like, what are we going to do with this family? And to have it put back on mothers, it's just incredibly insulting and not helpful to have people say like, so just breastfeed. Right. No,
0: idiotic. Right. (laughs) I mean, I was a person who did not breastfeed super successfully and always had to supplement. And um, no, that's not a great solution.
1: No, it's a non solution. Right. To have that presented to you like, well, just breastfeed. It's like, okay, I could fly to the moon, too. But the two are about as likely if I've been bottle feeding my kid for nine months. What are you talking about? And just to be I just think part of the problem and I totally agree with you that the consumption of news and the the immediacy of it and how much of it there is, it's a tsunami and you, you can consume it 24-7. But so many of these issues, including the pandemic, which we definitely have talked a lot about on this show, but it's not over and that we are, it's up to you to figure it out, right? Like your kid's not vaccinated yet and everybody's sick of wearing masks. So I guess don't worry about it or stay home, I guess. Mom, figure it out, right? There's no formula. So Don't make your own. That'd be dangerous. But uh, I don't know. Good luck with that. Right. Those are really insufficient answers. And so I think no wonder we're freaking out.
0: No wonder we're freaking out. And there is a very I think all of the things we're talking about and uh, having dealt with anxiety in my own life, I know that a lot of anxiety is a lack of feeling of control and the feeling that at any moment in any space or place shoot random shooting could break out <laughs> right. is a pretty bad feeling of lack of control the fact that anywhere you go you might contract this disease that everybody is getting is a strong lack of control right the feeling of like i don't know where to get formula from and nobody has it and nobody seems to care that much that i don't have it is it's all feeding into this idea of like a lack of control.
1: It reminds me of we heard Frances Haugen speak recently, and she is the Facebook whistleblower. And she talked about how Facebook and Instagram know that their algorithms are, you know, getting kids addicted and maybe teaching them not entirely healthy messages. And they know how to fix it, but they're just not going to because why would they? Because sticky eyeballs are more useful. But she made the point that really stayed with me that Kids have too much screen time, yada, yada, yada. During the pandemic, it's all too much. What are we going to do? And the solution is presented like, well, just tell them to put it down, mom. Right. It's kind of on you to fix it. And it seems impossible to fix it because something about it seems really sticky for us, too. I've been on Twitter a lot more than possibly was good for my mental health the last week. But there are solutions. And as long as we keep the only answer, we'll just figure it out, mom. It's not solvable that way. And the people in charge know it's not solvable that way, but making us feel bad and putting it all back on us will, one, not solve the problem and two absolve them of any responsibility. I've been thinking about that a lot because I kind of feel like we're getting handed that in a lot of ways, like I was just saying.
0: For sure. And it's kind of the same debate about like school doors and stuff. It's like I don't think the door is where the problem is. And we're asked to have these conversations that are. I mean, kind of gaslightingly removed from like, wait a minute. It's the old Bazooka Joe joke where the guy is looking for his watch and the guy says to him, is this where you lost your watch? And he says, no, but the lighting is better over here. It's like, (laughs) those are the kind of conversations that we're having about all of this stuff. And the fact of the matter is, We are out of control of these things fundamentally. And my sister-in-law who runs a school was saying that she has had a lot of parents reaching out to her and saying, you know, what are you doing to secure the school? And she says, these are the 18 steps we are taking. But fundamentally, a person who is intent on breaking into a school and doing damage to the children with a very powerful weapon is a very, very hard thing to stop. That's right. Like, We can talk about finding the watch where the light is good, but until we're going to talk about solving the problem at its root, I don't really know what else to tell you. We are doing, obviously, we want to be secure, but there's only so much we can do to stop. And listen, there's only so much, you know, I've spoken before about a tragedy that happened in our town that affected my children, and it was quite random, did not involve a firearm. Like there's always going to be random, terrible things that happen in all of our lives to all of our children, directly to them, to friends of theirs. You know, friend of a friend was just killed in a completely random, terrible car accident. Random terribleness is always going to be there. And so I think when we come back, it's like, let's start to have the conversation about like, we know what problems we can't fix. How can we start to address these things with our kids in a way that's productive?
1: I have an idea for you.
0: Oh, thank goodness. I knew you would.
1: Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. So we had Lynn Lyons from Fluster Clucks on the podcast a couple weeks ago. Great episode. She's a psychologist that specializes in kids and families with anxiety. And she would argue kids with anxiety always have families with anxiety. It's a family system issue. Great episode. Great podcast. Fluster Clucks. Check them out. And anyway, she says that, you know, that anxiety craves certainty. So if you're an anxious person, which I'm going to argue like I am now how much I was in 2019, but I certainly am now. (laughs) I'm soaking in it. Yeah. And that your, your brain craves certainty. It's the bomb it's looking for. It's not going to find it in this world, but it keeps looking like you keep like I check for my driver's license on the way to the airport, sometimes three or four times. Like, I know I just saw it, but let me just look one more time to make sure it's there because that certainty will make me feel better. It's self-soothing. It's a stim almost. Yeah. Right. And yet if we're looking for certainty that this could never, never that nothing terrible could ever, ever happen to us or the people we love the most, like certainty is in very short supply, but our brain keeps looking for it. Because that's what's going to make us feel better, thereby making us feel less and less better, if you feel me. Like we're the frantic search for something we will never find is not helping us feel less frantic. But it is where we are because it's what anxiety does. Yeah. So you have to sort of interrupt it. Anne Emig is a friend of the show, friend of the pod. She's a life coach now. She used to direct Listen to Your Mother, which was a show all across the country with live readings, kind of like the moth about motherhood. It's kind of where you and I reconnected. True. And many, many good things came out of that incredible show. Anyway, Anne is now a life coach, and she talks about acting as if, as an approach to anxiety, not specifically for this, but I think it might be applicable here, which is if you can't do the thing you need to do, you need to act as if you're doing the thing you need to do until that creates action, until your brain starts to take over. Give me an example. Oh, I mean, let me do a very low stakes example. I need to write this book and I'm not writing it, right? Okay, I'm I'm just not getting to it. I'm I'm worried about it. It's not gonna be good. I'm never gonna finish. I can't get to it. Okay, every day at 8 a.m., you're gonna open the doc And you're going to type. And if you have nothing to type, then you start to type, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm never going to get this book finished, whatever. You type that. You just show up every day and you type. You're acting as if you're a writer, even though you're not a writer yet. And eventually you're a writer. Eventually you're going to start doing the thing that you were supposed to be doing all along. So that if we can, in this situation, if we want to show up for our kids We want to be brave parents so that our kids aren't frightened, right? I think that's the goal here, right? That's why we're doing this. I mean, we want to feel better for ourselves. We deserve to feel better for ourselves, and not only because it will make us more effective parents. But since this is a parenting podcast, let's assume that being able to compartmentalize this stuff somewhat will help our kids, will make our homes more peaceful, will make us more patient parents. So we need to act as if we're brave parents who know what we're doing, who are sure everything's going to be OK, even when we don't really feel that way. We need to show up as if we are that brave parent.
0: I mean, agree and disagree, though. I think that a lot of the bravery is showing up and being present with our kids in what's scary. And so I think in the incident that happened with in our town, we had a lot of school counselors talk to us and what they told us, which was. Kind of the opposite of my instinct is to use real words and be very frank about what happened, which is a bravery that is not about, like, I'm fine. We're all fine. We don't have to worry about this thing. It's to say, like, yes, this tragic thing happened. I mean, what happened in our town is that my child's classmate was killed by their parent. And it was an extremely difficult thing to discuss with my child. And I couldn't quite. When The day it happened, I couldn't quite get the words out that like this is what happened. I said, well, this person died. And let me tell you, they came home from school that afternoon and like the kids had all pieced it together on the playground and they were like, this is what happened. And this is and she knew all the details and it should have come from me. But I could not find the words to say what had happened without falling apart. You mean without being coming emotional? I just literally could not get the words out of my mouth. It was too... The idea of it was too frightening to me. Uh Uh-huh. And I just... Whatever it was that was holding me back, I was having trouble getting the words out of my mouth.
1: And maybe it was, not to play armchair psychologist, but, like, you didn't want to be the one to bring this reality into your child's world, to speak it into existence.
0: And, like, you look at her face and she knows nothing. And then it's like, I'm introducing not only what happened, the concept that this could happen, Mm -hmm. the fact that this happened to a friend of hers... And I'm bringing all of this information forward, and I just couldn't get it out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. But as we continue to talk about it as a family, I leaned much more into like, this is what really happened. And one of the things that the psychologists explained to me that I would never have thought of, and we had a person talk to us who, this had happened to them as a child, and the adult who this had happened to as a child said that they snuck a knife out of the kitchen and slept with it under their pillow because they were so afraid that their father was going to kill them. And the idea, it would never have occurred to me that my children would be afraid of their father because it's like, well, I know my husband, he would never do anything like this. And this is where you have to try to get inside of this stuff and not be afraid. And The other thing that happens is like the children play this out and like my children went to a Western themed thing and got cap guns and this weekend and they were playing a lot of like this is me shooting the guy who would come into our school to shoot anybody. Oh my goodness. And it's like I can't watch it. It freaks me out. It upsets and bothers me. But like kids process trauma through play. So let me let me break down those ideas a little bit. Number one, you have to not be afraid of saying to your child, like, I know that something terrible happened in a family. And like, this is why, because if you say things like, oh, that dad was having a bad day or that dad got sick in his mind, you forget that your kid doesn't understand that like that couldn't happen to their own dad. You know, like you have to fill in so many blanks for kids. And I think it just involves talking about it, frankly. And the reason I'm pushing back on the idea of like brave parenting is keeping up a brave face is the wrong choice.
1: Yeah, but it's not I don't mean brave parenting like denial parenting. Yes. I mean,
0: that's what I'm saying. It's like there's just pointing out the difference between brave dialing in and brave like, let's pretend this didn't happen.
1: Brave, right, right. Let's, right. I think it's more like if you can't get through explaining to your kids what happened without absolutely falling apart and sobbing, then maybe you wait a day or an hour or you have your partner do it or whatever. But you're right. It doesn't at all mean that it's your job to let your kid not have to worry about this stuff or or make it okay or make it so they'll never worry because you can't, that's too big of a job.
0: No, but I, and I do think like you have to let them find their own bravery, you know what I mean? And so if their bravery is, they might want to talk about, they might want to have a conversation. If a school shooter ever came in, I would punch them right in the knees, right? And you don't want to be like, well, actually that wouldn't keep you safe for these 20 reasons. like, And I think that we have an instinct to not want to talk about the news and not want to talk. And my kids were really big on like what they would do for a while during Ukraine if the nuclear bomb came in, right? And they were going to X, Y, and Z. And I remember dealing with this with a young person in my life during 9-11. Oh, if someone ever tried to do that, I would go right up to them. Here's what I would do. Right, right. And I think that Because these I know for as an anxious parent who gets kind of triggered around dealing with my kids, I'm like, can we not talk about this at dinner? Like, I don't want to be thinking about nuclear war. I have enough problems. And so I have to maybe it's that I step out and let my spouse take it, maybe whatever, But it's very difficult because we're having our own feelings about it. And then like the instinct to stifle conversation is. Yeah, but that's not exactly right. Very profound. But I did learn from the psychologists in this experience of like, let them talk about it. Let them say anything, even if it makes you uncomfortable. Let them explore really uncomfortable things like, would my dad ever kill me? You know, very uncomfortable. Let them play like. Uh Oh, someone's coming to kill us. And what are we going to do? We're going to run and hide. Yeah, they're processing it. Don't shut that down. And be in that discomfort and let
1: them work it out. It's hard. It's really hard. I found a really good article from Kid Power that was called How to Choose Safety in Scary Times. And it has sort of like three big ideas to work through this. And I think some of what you're saying is falling under this and we can talk about some of this and some in the, in the third section. But the first thing they're suggesting that we do, and I think this is what you're saying, they're just saying it in a slightly different way, is we shouldn't let our actions as parents be based on fear of upset, discomfort, or disappointment. Yes. That we're worried we're going to upset our kids, we're we're going to make them uncomfortable, we're worried we're going to get upset, we're worried we're going to be uncomfortable. And so we're letting our actions and the way we're talking to our kids be ruled by that. And they're saying that's not what we should do.
0: I mean, that's exactly what I was trying to capture, like letting our upset about like stopping the kids from playing like with the cap guns. Right. What happens if a school shooter and they're laughing, they're running around like stopping that because it's somehow disrespectful to what happened or it's just too upsetting. Like, I understand the instinct. This is just harder than it looks on paper. That's what I'm hoping to give people. It's hard.
1: We re ran the episode talking about the news with our kids last week. And something I remember discussing that episode that really stuck with me I don't remember who said it, but it was really pertinent to me is like, we make memes, right? We do The Onion reposts there you know, nothing to stop this, says Only Nation, where this regularly happens. We make memes, we make content about the thing we share it on Facebook. That's kids playing school shooting at a birthday party, or like making memes and sharing them on social media. It's just a a kid version. Yeah,
0: they're trying to figure it out.
1: Right. They're trying to like sort it and categorize it and make meaning out of it. So that even though it might freak us out a little bit, it's not necessarily something we have to, it's certainly not something that we should clamp down on. Yeah,
0: yeah. And like, let's, you know, after you're a funeral when everyone's out back playing like let's bury each other like grandma like it, it, it's disturbing <laughs> you know it's not and you don't if it's bothering people you don't have to let it always go on you can always sometimes say like this is inappropriate but i think not now right understanding that that's a process is helpful
1: so kid power let's start with the first thing that we can do for ourselves and our kids during scary times. The first one is create emotional safety. And this is really starting with ourselves as parents. And again, creating emotional safety doesn't mean, you know, living under a rock. They suggest that we should moderate our consumption of media and just choose how we're consuming. Listen to this quote. This was for me. Kid Power, thank you. Watching upsetting events over and over and listening to upset people talk about them can feel as if we are taking action or staying informed. It certainly feels that way to me. And I've been consuming a lot of news the last couple of months. I feel like it's almost my job. Like I mustn't look away. Yes. It's important for me. And I don't have five-year-olds anymore coming home. I don't have to worry about a small child seeing something on TV or, or overhearing my podcast. But it can be traumatic after a while. And it's okay to take a break. I need myself to learn that lesson. That you're not a bad person if you're not consuming every bit of sorrow and trauma that this... Event has created in other people. Agree. Then they say the next thing you can do, once you've done that, once you've put parameters around that for yourself, is you can model being calm and taking positive actions. They say kids can learn a tremendous amount from seeing their adults take charge of safety instead of being overwhelmed by upset feelings. Give me an example of that. So I think that what that means is. It's the brave parenting like we were saying before like brave parenting isn't like let's go outside and blow bubbles like nothing to see over here that's not brave parenting it's brave parenting like yes you're right you know something very sad did happen at this school in Texas it really it makes me feel sad do you think we should make a card and send it to the families you know do that you take action they see you saying yes this is sad and here's what I think we should do about it instead of taking to your bed
0: yeah somebody in our town i saw the daughter older kid reached out to the Little League team of Uvalde and asked uh, for numbers of the kids playing Little League and wore one of the kids' numbers this week, you know? I like that very much. That's amazing. It it is, and I think those are the kind of things where, and I mean, listen, contacting the actual town and stuff maybe is a lot. Yeah, I was going to say that. I think maybe found picture. I don't think, like, it didn't involve, you know, bothering people, but or maybe just, you know... I want to remember, I want to put a patch on my uniform. I'm going to, you know, my kid um, did Ukraine donations for their birthday party this year. You know,
1: ways to feel connected and helpful. But you're right. The Daily did an amazing episode with a Newtown parent right after Uvalde happened. It's a, I can put a link in the show notes. It's a fantastic episode to listen to. Very non political and just sort of practical, what it's like to be one of those parents. And one of the things they said is, like, we got 2,000 stuffed animals because people thought that was a good thing to do. And so then while I'm grieving, I also have to, like, what am I going to do with 2,000 stuffed animals that, like, my kid is gone? What do I do with these? So you're right. Like, choosing a positive action you can take that's not obligating a grieving person to take an action is probably a good idea.
0: Even in much smaller ways, right? Like, when you're
1: trying to help somebody local. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, I have two more ideas on how we can parent bravely. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health.
2: We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because, let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.
1: Okay, Amy, we're back. Okay. Parent us bravely. The next one is, again, I feel like this is a little bit, it's kind of what you were saying, and I wouldn't have thought of this, but I think it's right. It's helping our kids come up with ideas of how they can stay safe and stay out of trouble. So we had an episode with Christina Hillsberg, who's a former CIA spy. And she wrote a book called License to Parent. I'll put the link in the show notes to our interview with her. She teaches her kids. It's unrelated to super scary events. She teaches her kids to move about in the world to sort of like find the exits on an airplane kind of thing. Like they live that way. And she talked about this idea of getting off the X. Do you remember this? That CIA agent learns to get off the X. The X is any dangerous situation. The longer you stay on the X, the more danger you're in. Get off the X. It doesn't matter what to do. And she was using examples of like sometimes a teacher, somebody in charge might be telling your kid to do something that the kid can just see is unsafe and it's okay for them to take their own safety first. Talk about getting off the X with your kids. This is ages and stages.
0: Yeah. And that can mean like you're at a party and people are drinking. You're with a group of kids who start spray printing a wall. Like mm-hmm. whenever getting off the X puts it in a really nice neutral posture. I'm very medium on this. And I think a lot of the things we do with kids are frightening and traumatizing and not super helpful. You mean
1: like the things in school? Yeah, like the school shooter drills. Yes, they maybe are teaching kids. I read something saying they're not even teaching necessarily the best right things to do necessarily.
0: Yeah. And like, I'm sorry, but there is no best right thing to do you're, you know, a small child against a person armed with weapons of war. Like, I mean, my dad did duck and cover drills for the A-bomb. So, you know, I mean, I guess the idea of like, if it helps you feel safer to know that like, if this ever happened, you could put your <laughs> head between your knees. Although my dad said that the kids all joked, put your head between your knees so you could kiss your butt goodbye. That was why they did them. But like, yeah, you're not, I don't know. I'm, I'm very neutral on like, on safety, unless it gives you a sense of control. I think for a lot of kids, it gives them a sense of immediacy and danger that is not helpful.
1: Let's move the X off something quite so extreme. So, Kid Power used this example. I hadn't really thought about this. They didn't use get off the X. That's Christina Hillsberg's idea. But they talked about that we can teach our kids to leave unsafe spaces, and that includes online. Yes. And that includes ourselves, that we can get off the X when there's some. that wants to fight with you on social media about vaccines or doors in schools or whatever, you can get off the X. You can leave that situation and the trauma and the upset that it's going to cause you. And your kid can also learn to just leave those situations. We're not talking school shootings.
0: I also think realistically, I mean, the chance of your child being in a life-threatening situation that they have no control over is smaller than them being in a situation that is mildly dangerous that they have a lot of control over. And so I think that that's what I try to do with my kids. Listen, when it comes to school shootings... I kind of lie to my kids. I'm like, oh, your schools are set up in a way that don't allow for that to happen. So it's not something you have to worry about, but it is very sad in these ways because I don't actually believe that if somebody intent on doing damage to my children at their school is absolutely intent on that, that there's a way to keep them safe from that. I don't believe that there's a lot of safety there, but I just say to them, like, you would be safe for these reasons in a way that is fairly false. But I try to bring it back to like, Think of all of the ways that you stay safe during the day. What's more likely to happen to you is that you're going to be in a car accident. That's why we drive safe cars and wear a seatbelt and we follow the rules of the road. What's more likely to happen to you is that your friends are going to decide they want a bike ride in a cool, dangerous way through town with no helmets on. That's why you have to stay out of those situations. That's a get off the X, right. Right, so I think the problem with focusing on the sort of like... Big headline disasters and trying to control that—it's like that's really not where the general danger to your child is happening.
1: No, but we want our kids to live with less fear, and by empowering them, you can make a decision. You can say, "I'm, yeah, this doesn't feel safe. I'm going to honor my decisions, and I'm going to leave this. I'm going to cross the street. I'm going to duck into this store because I don't like the look of this car that's been following me for two blocks." Like teaching them to engage with that stuff and take action can actually help them be less scared and more confident, even though I think sometimes we think it might be the opposite. And again, I'm talking about probably a 14-year-old doing that, not a four-year-old, I realize. But yes, teaching our kids to take action will actually help them feel less scared and helpless. Agree. And then the third thing is focusing on what we can do. This is kid space again. Feeling powerless in difficult times is normal, and it keeps us from focusing on what we can do to survive, to help others, and to recover. Taking positive action can replace helplessness with competence and confidence.
0: Yes. I mean, I definitely think we've talked about this before in terms of like self-confidence, the self-esteem box that you're going to find the key to and open it up. Like, self-confidence and a sense of safety comes from making, it comes from my kid being at Boy Scout camp and figuring out by himself how to light a fire, right? Like that self-confidence translates across like I am able to do things for myself in situations that are difficult. And that that is a series of actions and choices across years. And it's not whether or not you choose to watch the news with your kids. It's a series of Mm. complicated and difficult ways to instill their ability to like win a sports game. My kids do not play any sports, so they have to find this other places, right? Their ability to like overcome a loss or win a game. Those things are giving them self-esteem and self-confidence daily. It really doesn't come down to like the particular difficulty of any specific moment, I believe.
1: There's a book about school shootings that Crystal Woodman Miller wrote. I read it this morning. It's excellent. She's a Columbine survivor. She's now a parent herself. And she wrote this book. It's free right now. So I'll put a link in the show notes. I thought it was possibly a very good tool. It's She meant it to be something you sit down with your kid and read together. And she very carefully makes a point, and this is somebody as a survivor in the book, that we hear a lot about these terrible events, because they're so terrible. They're so unthinkable, and they're so terrible. But that can make them seem, she argues, like they happen everywhere, and that they're not very rare, that they're actually very rare. So in this case, this book, I think, very skillfully sort of packages that in a way that you could be brave and talk about it with your kid if you want to, which maybe you don't need to. And I'm not saying everybody should be like, so sit down. You need to know about this terrible thing that happened. I don't think brave parenting means walking them through things that they don't even know about that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I, I will say I used to be kind of team like school shootings are incredibly rare. And like this over, you know, talking about them kind of makes it seem to our kids like it happens every day. I think that the vast news around shootings has changed the game. No matter whatever the statistical reality of a school shooting happening to your child is, it's just something we have to dial in and because the kids are talking about it and it, and you know, we had this extremely rare occurrence happen in our town. And the reality is Mm -hmm. saying how rare it is doesn't really matter anymore because it's something that my kids have had to face and we've had to deal with it. Two things that I, Have taken away from some counseling on this is that we didn't get to that. I want to touch on is number one, is the phrase, it's not happening right now. And so sometimes that really helps with like anxious kids, you know, like, is a nuclear bomb going to drop on us? It's that's not happening right now. Like, that is something that if it happens, we will be together as a family. And maybe we say things like, although it's not actually true in my case, we don't live near somewhere that that would happen. That would not affect us. I'm fine with helping kids with some denial around it because mm-hmm. there's no duck and cover. There's no plan for that. And then the second thing is catastrophizing that when you find yourself going out on the limb of like if there was a nuclear war. Then some of us wouldn't survive. Then the rest of us would have to figure out uh, how to live. And then we would have to figure out how to find food and society would fall apart. So when we don't know how to fight that's catastrophizing and like trying to shut that down and redirect and bring it back and say the fact is it's not happening right now. There is no guarantee it will never happen in your life or your family. Other completely random things that never happen will happen. I was involved in an accident, a motorcycle on motorcycle head-on crash years and years ago. And the police told us that they think that four to five head-on motorcycle crashes happen in the country every year because for two motorcycles to hit head-on is it's just statistically difficult cuz it's like a car crash it's a very narrow target
1: <laughs> never thought about that
0: you know when you're we were bowling this weekend and my kid had the ball go right between the only the pins that were knocked down and we, we kept saying you couldn't have done that if you tried like how did you only you know you threaded that needle random and unlikely things happen to people all the time these things happen But I do think there's room to find that space to say, like, let's not worry out every possibility of something that is still statistically fairly unlikely. And it is okay to offer your kids a little bit of denial of like this won't happen. And so don't worry about it.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. And do the work, right? Brave parenting means doing some of this work out of the uh, earshot of our kids and then showing up to help them deal with their feelings and move on to what they can do. And
0: also being brave when they're working it out in ways that make us feel uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, we solved it. We solved an extremely difficult, thorny parental issue. I'm so glad. Super (laughs) difficult. And we're solving it ongoingly. Yeah, all the time. You know, I'm going to put a link to all of the things we talked about today. There's a lot, a couple of episodes in the show notes. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with another parent who is dealing with this very scary time in which we have to parent bravely.
0: And if you have a child or yourself who is dealing with anxiety as part of your parenting, we really recommend the show Fluster Clocks, which has a lot of helpful episodes that deal more directly with the things you might be talking to your kids about.
1: Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.